Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. You love that little pregnant pause. <laughs> yeah. I edit it out every time. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah, no one knows about that pause except you and me. Yeah, that's it. Well, well this time I'll leave it in just uh, just to give them a sense of what I'm cutting out. Wow, really uh, letting them see the the pod behind the pod there. Yeah. The, the secrets of our success. Mm. <laughs> success is a relative term, I guess. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Adam, we've we put out a episode of Greatest Discovery already that talked a little bit about the tour, but I wanted to give people an update. The tour is off and running. It it's is. It's going great. Uh, this is Greatest Gen Con, and Greatest Gen Con is coming to you this year. That's right. Greatest Gen Con has already come twice this year in, <laughs> in and to Austin and Dallas. It's really insatiable how much coming it can do. No longer allowed to go to Austin or Dallas yeah. uh, after our tour. We had a lot of fun in those cities. Um, I had never been to either, so it was super fun to go there and to go there with a couple of buds in you and Rob's, Rob's, Rob's. And, yeah, Rob's, uh, and Rob's, Rob's did a great job uh, producing the shows. He, he makes it a little easier for you and I to just uh, focus on doing show. He makes it easier for me not to, in the it's an industry term, Ben, fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a big reason uh, I was able to keep it together for those few days. So good job by yeah, him. It was an interesting and pleasant surprise to see you keep it together for many days in a row. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like we've got a bunch of shows already on sale and we're, I think, working on four or maybe even five more shows that haven't been announced yet. It's true. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this tour is maybe double the size of the one we did last year. So It's bigger than a lot of people expected. Yeah, and uh, you know, that's uh, that's always a pleasant surprise when you unzip it's a, it's uh, a, a, a new tour and you pull it out and it's, uh, you know, hey, hey, that's a little nicer than uh, I thought it was going to be. A little it, bit bigger. It's both a shower because of all the tour dates we've announced already, but it is also a grower due to the <laughs> future tour dates we have yet to announce. So uh, get on greatestgencon.com to see the ones that have been announced and we'll see you out there all year long. Can't wait to continue Greatest Gen Con. Are you drinking a beer? No, I'm not. I'm drinking a. I'm drinking a, a, a fizzy water. Oh, okay. Adam, you you mentioned to me over TXT that you've received a large number of packages at our PO box, and I heard from your wife over TXT that. She is uh, interested in suing me in the court of Judge John Hodgman due to the number of boxes that are now entering your house on a weekly basis. Yeah, it is a it's a large largess. <laughs> and it's a it's it's really a pile at this point, Ben. It's sort of an emergency situation. I think I think yeah. what we should do is tear into these boxes. Let's stack them and rack them. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain size only. I've stacked these in such a way that uh, that they could fall over and fall onto my dog. So uh, I think it's best if I start from the top with the tube. This is a tube sent to us from Alan V. from Memphis, Tennessee. All right. So looks like we got a couple of posters here. All right. Ooh. Oh Ben, it is a it is a Star Trek Cutaway Enterprise E poster. Whoa! I have never seen this poster. Wow! It's a lot like the D poster we were talking about uh, at that at that Ballard consignment store. Yeah. Oh, it is beautiful. 
Cool. And uh, I want to know what the E looks like on the inside. Wow, it is. Uh, it's gorgeous. Oh, and the uh, there's another one. It is a cutaway of DS9. Wow. Wow, and it and it shows you where everything is. This is uh this is great. This is great ge- geographical orientation of the E of DS9 and wait for it the Voyager ship from Star Trek Voyager. Cool. Wow, Alan, incredibly kind and thoughtful. Occasionally we will get posters sent in that were clearly on someone's wall for years and years. Yeah. These are these are crisp brand new Whoa. Beautiful posters. Yeah, and, that's super uh, nice. Yeah, like like suitable for framing. Uh, wonderful stuff. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Once the divorce goes through, I'm going to really look forward to putting one of those up. I mean... <laughs> that's the only context in which I can imagine my wife being okay with it if we're no longer together. <laughs> right. Uh, it's the reason I'm I'm currently being litigated against by my own wife. So Yeah. Ben, our second package is from R. Eggleston from Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Oh boy. Uh, what we have here is a Trek the Next Generation crew book. A uh, bunch of bunch of stickers on this clearance stickers to be specific. Ben, this is uh-huh. uh, this has been marked down from six dollars ninety six cents to four dollars <laughs> ninety six cents to finally fifty cents. It's like the hula hoop in Hudsucker Proxy. You know, for kids. Yeah, just can't convince anybody to buy this damn thing. I mean, just in the in the brief time it's been in my hands, it's. A little difficult to ascertain what this is. Uh, it looks like it looks like it has a bunch of writing about the actors and not the characters. So we've got a Frakes chapter and a uh, and a Patrick Stewart chapter and a bunch of really fun photographs, uh, like photographs of Michael Dorn at at uh, Marina Sirtis's wedding. <laughs> like cool. if you if you like that stuff, so that's part of it. The other part is a set of Pez dispensers. Oh, twenty fifth anniversary TNG Pez dispensers. Bennett's the whole crew. It's Beverly, Data, Jordy, Riker, Picard, yeah. Worf, and Deanna Troy. I have a I have a that exact set of Pez dispensers myself. I think somebody brought it to us at our Toronto show last year. And it wound up coming home with me. That's that's one of the few gifts that you've been able to take home. Ben, it comes with a letter. The letter goes like this. Greetings from Tucson. Greatest Gen has me laughing out loud and spreading the gospel to all trackish peoples I know, and even some that I do not. One of my jobs <laughs> is that of bartender. All right. And a fellow came in wearing a self-made Federation shirt, to I ask, so I asked him if he was a friend of DeSoto. He did not know what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> When being a friend of DeSoto backfires. When being a bartender ends up walking someone out of your bar. (laughs) So uh, after turning my brother Zach onto Greatest Gin, he discovered that not only did Jonathan Franks grow up a few towns over from us in Pennsylvania, but Zach and Franks share the same birthday. Whoa, cool. so So it's Riker birthday gifts from here on out. As thanks for the joy and laughter, I'm sending along a few things that friends have passed along to me over the years to add to your ever-expanding Trek collection. Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) Ryan also says we should come to Tucson. Ryan should keep a lookout on possible future tour dates. We are trying to make something happen in the southwestern part of the United States. Yeah, your your state is definitely in the crosshairs. That's a that's a great way to put it. In in these days. In yeah. these trying times, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, box number three. Looks like it's coming from Las Vegas. Hey, we're going there. We can confirm that uh, Las Vegas is... Uh, we've already released the torpedoes. And it's a Morn action figure. Yeah. Dear <laughs> uh with spring-loaded hammer action. Yeah. Dear Ben and Adam, I hope you enjoy this Morn action figure, Morn hammer not included. Thank you for all <laughs> the wonderful content, and I can't wait to see you in Massachusetts in August. From, awesome. From Joel Nectarline. 
Thanks, Joel. Oh, I've seen Joel on the, uh, I think on the Facebook and the Twitter. It uh, it includes a gift receipt, Ben. So uh, if if my wife <laughs> if my wife decided to uh, to sneak into our largesse, yeah, uh, she could just start returning some shit. How does that work? She could return it and get and get the money herself. That would be wrong. <laughs> that would be really fucked up. That's not what Joel was intending. Not at all. Ben, our next package is from Zachary P. Oh, shit. You know who Zachary P. is? He's the guy who designed our This Old Enterprise Tour t-shirts. Oh, shit. Those were a big hit. I, Huge we didn't hit. Take two, we didn't take t-shirts on our last tour, and I am now regretting that. <laughs> People seem to like the t-shirt. Oh, Zach has hooked us up big time with four This Old Enterprise coffee mugs. Cool. Just incredibly kind of Zach. We got to meet him after our uh, Dallas show. Just as yeah. a, as good of a pal as uh, as you could possibly hope to meet. All right, Ben. More boxes. <laughs> How many boxes do you have? After, after this one, there's three more. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one is from Ash G from Long Beach, California. Looks like we have a book here. These are the Voyages, a three-dimensional Star Trek album. Oh, it's Whoa, a pop-up it like pop book. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, this is great. Oh, there's even a Borg's pop-up. Whoa, does it it cubes when it pops up? It does. Look at that. That sounds kind of rad. Very exciting. Uh, we've got the pop-up book. There's a few more things in here. There's a letter. Oh boy, it's a long one. Let me, uh, okay, let me, let me read the letter in a bit. It looks like we have a Star Trek Generations official hologram movie magazine. Wow. Lordy. And, uh, and, and a bunch of newspaper clippings. <laughs> Just, uh, Star Trek newspaper clippings. Buffalo and, Bill Skins Fifth? Yeah. Is that one of them? And then at the bottom, it looks like we have some some tiny ship models and uh, and standees. You know what we need, Adam, is for somebody to send in some models in case we get to that starship mine square on the on the board game. Oh yeah, uh, that's that's what we can do because because models aren't small. I I don't mean to solicit more things to be sent to your house. <laughs> Ash writes, thank you for all your wonderful work on the pod. I became a Maximum Fun donor during the last drive. Thank you, Ash. Included with this letter are some Star Trek relics of my youth. It's not that I'm trying to get rid of them. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Okay, maybe I am. (laughs) God damn it, Ash. This is exactly what your wife is afraid of. (laughs) Speaking of of donors, a new app in the donor feed from... The Greatest Generation, our uh, one ping only Hunt for Red October episode is in there right now. Very proud of that, Ep, and the, uh, and the work you did to edit that one, Ben. It's, it's yeah. I think, one of my favorite ones. I think the uh, the music by itself is worth the price of admission because yeah. Adam Ragusea made basically the greatest podcast theme song that has ever been recorded. That is the truth. That is the objective truth. All right, Ben, next package is from Thomas J. from Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, we got a uh, we got a mirror-broken graphic novel, famously drawn from our pal J.K. Woodward. Oh, yeah? Famously but- drawn by our pal J.K. Woodward. Uh, this is a great, great graphic novel. It's a collection of all of those mirror-broken comics of the last year, and it is fucking great. If you haven't is read this... this- the one with... With Picard and the, uh, is that the Stargazer? Yeah. On the cover? Yeah. I just and bought this. I, ha- I haven't read it yet. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to reading it. Uh, Mirror Picard, uh, and his attempts to steal the Enterprise D. Pretty awesome. Ooh. It is great. And, uh, and our pal, our pal J.K. Woodward, uh, is the artist behind it, and he does great work. I think we're looking to have J.K. Woodward come on the greatest discovery at some point right yeah yeah that, i i hope so that guy's great that'd be cool letter enclosed to benjamin r harris and john roderick and adam pranica enclosed in this package are a few items from my ship 
NOAA ship Thomas Jefferson. It's the S-222. Please take these as a token of my gratitude for all you do on your podcasts. I have said in earlier emails, the greatest generation kicked my butt into gear to pursue the life I have always wanted. That being some kind of Star Trek life. (laughs) I hope to see you live someday, and thank you personally. I do apologize for this package taking so long. It has been a weird few weeks for me. Thanks again for giving me the inspiration to pursue my own greatest adventure. Wow, very nice of you to say. Uh, This is from Ensign Taylor K., uh, from the NOAA Corps. Yeah, he's emailed us a couple of times about like what this is like. He's like stationed on a ship and like wears a uniform and does and does like you know kind of scientific research. And uh, it sounds super cool. Uh, he sent a headshot. Also, oh cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! There's a I I didn't mention. Uh, he sent us some shirts. Looks like hey. we get, oh we got a we got a blue we got a blue NOAA shirt. Oh, and on the back, it's got the uh, the ship Thomas Jefferson, like a picture of it. It's nice. awesome. Oh, we've so got we a... can identify it uh, through our uh, <laughs> through our binoculars. Oh shit! He sent us challenge coins. Nice challenge coins and a foam dome hat. That is awesome. Thank That's you so much, Taylor. Challenge coin collection growing. Moving right along, Ben. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> This box comes to us from L. Decker from Lafayette, Indiana. There's a card. Oh, oh, Ben! It is a it's a cross stitch. It's Fun. it's two cross stitches. On uh, on one of them it says, "What happens on the holodeck stays on the holodeck," <laughs> and on the other one it says, "Hoch, chich, bach." <laughs> May they always dwell here. So I guess that's home sweet home. Cool. <laughs> wow, uh, there is a card. The letter goes, Dear Ben and Adam, thank you for the show and the laughs. I hope this reaches you safely and that you are all doing well. Lots of people, more eloquent than I have, told you how much the show means to them. Think of something nice here and pretend I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> what a sweet sentiment. Uh, I think you did just great on your own. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you. One final box, Ben. One box only. It's the biggest box. It's from Haslabs in Monroe, Washington. I'm, I'm familiar with Monroe, Washington. I spent a lot of time there working on my documentary. What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> oh my god, Ben. Ben, <laughs> do you know what this is? I have no idea. This is Odo's bucket. <laughs> and it is filled with oatmeal. <laughs> oh my god. It's just it's a it's a it's a bucket full of oatmeal. Dry like oatmeal. Like actual liquid oat oh, no, dry. Like, yeah. Thank like, fuck. Like oats. It's it's very fragrant, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. There's a picture of Nog. And a and a subtitle to it that says it's oatmeal. <laughs> that was the weirdest gift we have ever received. <laughs> wow, oatmeal. oatmeal is everywhere. <laughs> Holy shit! Can you uh, uh, like? Can you describe the bucket? Like, is this is this a actual on-screen prop or is this a homemade facsimile? What's a, what are the it materials looks, involved? It looks uh, it looks like a rubberized, like if you were, if a Halloween store made this, yeah, it, it it's like Halloween store rubberized, like painted rubber bucket. Amazing. Oh, there's a letter. Hey, Ben and Adam, I just set up a website using squarespace.com slash scarves <laughs> for my prop shop just outside <laughs> Seattle. By the time I got through all your backlogs and you got to DS9, I knew then... I just had to make something for you guys. While oh, I man. haven't been cool. to one of your live shows, I figured you just might enjoy some prop comedy. So to you <laughs> fine gentlemen, I give you your own changeling bucket full of oatmeal. That's great. Stay just a little bit embarrassed. This is Josh. Josh, I will never forget this gift. <laughs> <laughs> that is so great. What a haul. Literal buckets of fun. 
I am covered in packing material, Ben. <laughs> we have we have overshot our Marin runway by by miles. Yeah, I don't think anybody is still listening, but do you want to get to the episode that we came here to record today? We really should, because I think the episode is great today. It's uh, Season 2, Episode 14, Whispers. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. So we start with uh, O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Solo missioning in a Winnebago, and he's kind of doing a "When did it all go wrong?" kind of <laughs> kind of personal log. So we know this is going to be the uh, one of those one of those episodes that is sort of epistolary, where he's uh, he's he's recording the log, and then we're flashing back to his memories over the last couple of days. Star Trek doesn't do this very often, this story format. So this excited me right away. It's a little bit data's day. Yeah. It's a little like uh it's a little bit you're probably wondering how I found myself in this situation from uh yeah. O'Brien. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> He's been doing some some prep with an alien race, the name of which I did not write down. What are they called? The Paradas? The Paradas. The Paradas. The Paradas. Tell me about the Paradas. The Paradas. Paradas. They love parades. <laughs> uh, You want to show up early when you get to the parada system. You want to put your lawn chair out first thing in the morning. Yeah, yeah, because it's just a a crush of humanity. You'll you'll, you'll get a terrible view if you're not there early. (laughs) There's something pretty special about this episode, Adam, which is that this is the first and probably will be the only time I have ever convinced my wife to watch an episode of Star Trek with me. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. I had a, a shoot yesterday and I I was just like out all day and I got back and I said, I need to watch this episode. I'm recording first thing with Adam in the morning and uh, like I either have to get up super early to do it or watch it while we eat dinner. And uh, I talked her into it. <laughs> all of the, uh, <laughs> all of the, I've, I've earned one episode of Deep Space Nine via three seasons of Vanderpump Rules and six and a half seasons of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. That's the exchange rate. When we get to that point in the episode, and I'm going to ask you if you liked it, I'm also going to ask if your wife liked it. I think that's a fair question. Yeah. So uh, O'Brien orders double strong, double sweet coffee, Ben. Yeah. Sounds like a I great... can't get behind the double sweet. Yeah? Double strong I'm okay with, but I never, I never add sugar to my coffee. I don't either. It's not my way. But I could see it in the afternoon being fun. I would never have something like that in the morning. Yeah, it's gonna, you're just gonna crash later, you know? Yeah. Setting yourself up for a crash. Homeboy wakes up, he, he's like in the flashback, he's, he's uh, thinking about when he started noticing things were weird back on Deep Space Nine, and he, he wakes up to find the triangle pillow <laughs> next to him without a Keiko on it, uh, reaching around for wifey in the morning and she's not there and he gets up and she's like she's gotten up at the crack of dawn and is uh just trying to get out of the house without much interaction and molly is being weird and cold with him and uh my wife turned to me and said their relationship is really fucked up <laughs> uh, she has no idea no idea and and like i didn't want to like pause the episode and say like i know like this is supposed to be the the show depicting their relationship as being weird, but it's also just kind of depicting it as it has been for much of the run, except for like maybe the last two episodes that Rosalind Chow has been on. Yeah, like for a moment, you think that O'Brien is flashing back to season one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, like the architecture is definitely not the Enterprise, but this kind of feels like when they were back on the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. She did really like Molly, though. She was like, Who's who's the kid? She's cool, like her. Molly's great. Uh, yeah. Rosalind Chow here does a special kind of acting, and it's really, really great because it's sort of like act drunk adjacent. 
because when you're acting drunk, the trick is almost acting sober. Like that's how you sell the act drunk. But acting like you've got something to hide is that kind of meta acting where you're acting like a person, which is in itself dishonest, but you're acting like a different person that is acting like they have something to hide and being dishonest themselves. Right. It's two layers deep. Yeah. And it is great and unnerving to see this, which I think if you're feeling unnerved by it means it's, it's accomplishing something. Yeah, it's really working. She's very closed off and short with him. And I mean, like only so much of this is in the script. Right. And, and I think you can see that from Molly, who's like a child actor who doesn't understand what we're doing here and just has to be told like what to say and how to say it. But, uh, but what Rosalind Chow does here is answering a higher calling. Yeah. And I think that both Kalamini and Rosalind Chow are like really, they both got a fun, challenging episode to do. And I think they both had a lot of fun with it and did a great job with it. I agree. When you talk about how much weight these actors have to carry, Kalamini carries all of it because every he's in every single scene. There is no yeah. B story at all. It's all A. It's almost right. bottle A story. Yeah. My wife is now under the impression that Deep Space Nine is a show about an Irish mechanic that works on a space station. That would be great. You know, like yeah. Nicholas Meyer is talking about making like three Wrath of Khan series. Like it yeah. would be great to just have spinoffs for O'Brien. Uh-huh. It's just spinoffs all the way down. Ben, do you want to talk about how you build paranoia visually? Because in addition to how Rosalind Chow and Kalamini perform, I think there's some visual things here that are happening throughout the episode that really help. I agree. There's um, They do a lot of, like when, when the camera is on O'Brien, he's often, like you'll often find him kind of framed within the frame. Yeah. Like the, uh, the objects around him kind of close him into a space visually. Yeah. And that's like a subtle thing to do, you know, like sometimes it's just that there's a character in the foreground and like the shape of a door in the background, but it, it draws a circle around him. Yeah. All that's that, uh, that's mindful composition right there. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool directing technique. That's it's, it's a similar thing to that meta acting where it's, it's like, you know, as a director, First and foremost, what you need to do is get coverage and get shot compositions that convey the story. But then within that, it takes it to the next level when you can get shot compositions that convey the story, but also layer on the emotional gravity of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're and if you're making a subtle box or a subtle target on your character, you're going to build that kind of tension. This episode uh, uses a lot of lingering close-ups, too. More close-ups than I feel like we usually get. And uh, and they stay on shots a little longer than they usually do. And that all serves to make things uncomfortable. Like, you're used to an editing pattern on a show that yeah. that clips along. But this one, this one lingers, and it, it helps build different. that paranoia in a really fun way. Yeah. So, O'Brien is fresh back from the Parada system and the... Paradins have been at war with each other. I guess they're a Gamma Quadrant alien that is uh, attempting to have a peace talks on a neutral ground in Deep Space Nine. And so O'Brien has been out there getting to know them and getting to know what the security requirements are going to be. And uh, he comes back and like he finds one of his Starfleet engineer guys like already working on it. And he's a little miffed because it's kind of happened outside of his purview. Cisco gave you permission to start this without asking me first? I don't think so. And he's the one that went and learned all the all the particulars. So he starts his day kind of on an uneven footing because somebody's gone over his head in the in the chain of command, and uh, like he goes up to ops to ask what the fuck and. 
instead of getting a satisfying answer, it's like, hey, the, like all three upper pylons are down, chief, and also before you do anything about that, you've got to go, um, you got to go do your checkup. The doctor has been, you're like long overdue for going and having your, your annual physical, and uh, the doctor is none too pleased. That inciting incident is is low-key really important here, because I think if you're building a story uh, surrounded by this this paranoia, the inciting incident is him having succeeded at passing this test, and the expectation being that he's going to be... Uh, intimately involved with the mission at hand. And when you begin his story right away with that rope-a-dope, it puts him off balance <laughs> as a character from the start. And it has him questioning everything from that point forward. Like the, the promise of success and responsibility is replaced with, yeah, why don't you go uh, plunge a toilet? <laughs> <laughs> the restrooms on all the pylons are down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're uh, they're backing up and overflowing, and they're just running down the pylons. The other thing that he's he has encountered here is he like was going to uh, see Keiko at work and sees Commander Cisco like talking to her in the hallway in a way that like fills him with weird suspicion. Uh, compositionally, this does something important because you. Like I think we'll keep hitting on this as we as we recap the ep. You stay with O'Brien. No, I think this will be the last time. You stay with O'Brien. Like you never see what this this conversation is. You view it from from a great amount of detachment. Like right. they're they're like You're on out the- of your shot. You never get to like you never get the context from anybody else's perspective. So when he asks about it later, he just has to take people's word for it. And when different people are saying different things about what happened, it starts to drive him nuts. I think when you narrow the perspective down to one, you can do this with a lot of stories. I think if you take most episodes of any series and never cut to someone else and just remain on one person, I think other people's actions can evoke that kind of feeling sure. when you when you don't know their motivations. Yeah. So this, uh, we kind of come come back and forth to... O'Brien on his uh, on his trip back to Parada, and that I think his idea is at some point at the end of his time over the last couple of days, he concluded that everyone on Deep Space Nine was compromised in some way, and he needs to head back to the Parada system to warn them that the the peace talks are in jeopardy because people are acting super weird, and he he can't he doesn't have any way of explaining why you know he's he's just out to save his own skin and and warn the paradins it kind of throws back to like the schismed episode or like the nubbin bugs episode of tng where things are strange but it's like unclear why or for what reason like he's never he he doesn't go around like checking people's back of people's neck for nubbins but maybe he should you know maybe that should be the first step what this moment in the episode really boiled down for me was just how few friends o'brien has and i don't think that's unique to him but he really doesn't have anyone to confide in with Odo being off the station especially his perception of this being a security threat and people acting strangely and for one of those people to be his wife where does he go who does he tell? Like, it, it narrows his world down to a degree that escaping the station becomes eventually uh, his his only option. And it's just kind of a series of vignettes where things are weird and he's very uncomfortable. Like, we get that the scene where the doctor is doing the physical and... Has a sex life. I don't have a sense of humor. It's very closed in. Like, the camera is, like, always very close to O'Brien and you just kind of see the doctor buzzing around behind him they're never standing face to face the doctor's always behind o'brien so he's right. always uncomfortable turning around to to like get eye contact and stuff there's references to orifices being probed <laughs> and that's not fun unless it is i mean yeah the, you know it sort of depends on what you're into i guess <laughs> Golden cotton. Golden cotton. Golden cotton. so 
He passes his medical exam with flying colors, but after enough kind of like obvious subterfuge taking place that he suspects that this is just like happening to distract him from something else. Yeah. He's been told by Cisco that the conversation between him and Keiko was just about how Jake's grades are fucked up and he needs help at school. Jake catches up with O'Brien in on the promenade after his medical exam saying like, hey, by the way, my grades are great. Also, can you help me do a like a radio for my school my school science project? Which he's all too happy to help out with. I used to build them when I was your age. I'll be glad to help. This is a character building moment for O'Brien because as stressed out as he is, he's still very fond of Jake and is willing to help, like even in a stressful situation. This is the first clear sign that something is very much not right. Like he's he's had a lot of hints, you know? Keiko being closed off and weird, uh, the you know, seeing the commander and Keiko talking, the weirdly long physical that he passes with flying colors despite the doctor being, like, incredibly intensive. But uh, Jake is telling him a different story than Cisco is telling him. Like, the 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 evidence is starting to pile up that, in fact, he is being deceived in some way and in some unknowable way. Like, it's it's very unnerving that they're not trying to deceive him about anything in particular. They're just being weird with him. Right. And keeping him away from the work that he would normally be doing. That's the best part, right? That's the most exquisite tension, is the lack of clarity about why people are acting weird and how exactly they're doing so. Like, we get the scene where he runs into his engineer buddy, like, finishing off security in the hallway outside of one of the guest quarters, and he's like, oh, let me go in there and check it out, and, like, it gets really tense where, like, he tries to get, he tries to go in there, and Cisco and Kira shut him down, and then he, like, walks down the hallway and, like, peeks back and sees the guy go in himself. Like, so, obviously, there's something to do with the Paradins, but... That doesn't explain why, like, Keiko and Molly would be super weird to him, right? Yeah, there's a fun balance between a professional distraction and the distraction at home. Like, everything professionally happening happening to O'Brien seems to serve to draw him away from where the Paradins will be. Like, he's he's working way out there on conduits. He's finding sabotaged conduits that have nothing to do with the Paradins. Like, they're, it's like he's been given busy work to do that takes him away from a mission that he thought he had trained for. And also, none of this explains why Dax is barely in the episode. Right. The stuff at home is maybe the creepiest stuff. I mean, you could, you could make the case that, you know, professionally... Commander Sisko has all sorts of reasons to delegate him to a different task than than he thought he'd be doing. But at home, there is no fucking reason why Keiko would make her least favorite meal. But you don't like freaking dust, do you? For O'Brien. And then be super weird during dinner while they both drink the blue beverage of marital conflict. <laughs> what was the, from a story standpoint, the motivation for that? She made something that he theoretically likes and she theoretically doesn't to like test him like the newlywed game or something like that well i mean i've got a theory but i don't know if i want to share it until the denny me <laughs> i mean like it plays for many things in this scene like it's very it's a very tense scene like when when he's like bringing the fork up to his mouth and you're like is did she poison the stew is that what is happening here you're just stalling now You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? O'Brien makes a pass at Keiko during the scene, and it does not go well. It's that moment where he finds out that Molly is not home for the evening, and I think that we're both very familiar with this uh, this phenomenon of, uh, not tonight, honey. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to cast aspersions at him, but that's definitely something that I've experienced a few times in my day. Sure. What we what we get is a scene of a real Adam and Ben. <laughs> I don't use the bucket anymore. 
I think from there, it really starts to go off the rails. He does some listening to like the station logs, and at, at a certain point in the in the record, chronologically, like he stops having access to them. His security clearance does not appear to be valid anymore. He catches Odo coming off of a transport back from Bajor and is like, listen, dude, shit is not right here on the station. And uh, I think we need to start looking into this from a security standpoint. Yeah, and this moment feels very Invasion of the Body Snatchers because O'Brien finds someone that he can finally trust. He thinks... He thinks that Odo is trustworthy and is on his side, and all it does is serve to set up the double cross that comes later. Like, he thinks he's finally made it, he's finally safe, he has an ally, but then, uh, but with the combination between the logs being locked out for him and Odo bringing him into an office meeting that does not end well, (laughs) it, it, uh, it, O'Brien is on the loose at this point because uh, after after this conversation draws to a close, it's Kira and Cisco come in with holsters filled with phasers ready to, to take O'Brien into custody. Well, and it's such good Star Trek logic, too, because it's like, like we've seen enough episodes where something's loose on the ship or some alien influence is taking place that like somebody that wasn't there. Yeah. Like, wouldn't have been exposed to it yet. So Odo is, like, very plausibly trustworthy. And when it's revealed that it's not, like, you're so relieved that O'Brien has has planned for the possibility that even even Odo has a nubbin. Because he made right. himself a little, like, Batman device where <laughs> he can throw it on the ground and it stuns everybody but him for some unknowable reason. And, uh, and he runs out. And uh, he, like, gets in a very badly, like, there's a lot of great directing in this episode, but the uh, the phaser fight in the on the promenade where he, like, dodges one phaser and shoots a guy is just incredibly bad. What kind of a Keystone Cops operation you guys running here, huh? Yeah, that's not a great moment. But what's great about this scene is that, like, so often in TNG, we got... Uh, scenes like this depicted with Data, especially, who perfectly crafted his escape from pursuers. And it's fun to see just basic competence, like basic O'Brien able to get himself out of a trap like this in a way that, you know, isn't perfect and occasionally has some mistakes. But, yeah. like, how does just a normal dude try to do this? And he does it right. pretty well. This is a situation that needs to get unfucked right now! Yeah, he's like, all right, well, if uh, if you're turning on force fields, I'll use my engineering knowledge to turn on all force fields everywhere. Yeah, that and was then, fun. And then if you want to come get me, you're going to have to turn off all force fields everywhere. <laughs> Chief O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> Much like one of those... Amazon Alexa units. <laughs> Anytime, anyone, anywhere says the phrase all blank everywhere, it summons me, Kevin Uxbridge. <laughs> and so I noticed your shield units activate right away. Was there anything else you wanted Well, I'm here? I'm a man of special conscience, so I can do a lot of things for you from an ethical standpoint. Perhaps you'd like a subscription for toilet paper. (laughs) We could uh, ship you a button that you could put inside of a cupboard to order more (laughs) multi-purpose cleaner. The Kevin Uxbridge family of products are shipped with prime speed. In two days and for no extra fee for shipping, we can have a very plausible fuck toy delivered to your house. And uh, and very discreet packaging, might I add. Frustration free. It's it's actually just a body bag with a zipper. (laughs) It's never frustrated anyone. It is only titillated. Because once you hose out a body bag with a Kevin Uxbridge brand product inside... You know you've received an authentic Uxbridge. (laughs) 
I can confirm X-Beach is authentic. <laughs> so he makes his escape. He's uh, disabled the tractor beams, and he manages to beef up his shield so that the station's puny phaser fire can't destroy his runabout before he goes through the wormhole. But then he's kind of like, he's in a tricky spot because he's heading for the Parada system, and he knows he's been... He's, he's he's being pursued like he you know he blows in a call to an admiral at starfleet who's like you know turn your ship back and he's like fuck everyone's got a nubbin in this goddamn episode that was a scary scene yeah <laughs> it's also just got to be scary when you're like a non-commissioned officer and you call up you like blow in a call to whoever's in charge of your your entire region of space and they're like i know who you are <laughs> yeah that when the mailroom guy calls the ceo that's big trouble oh chief o'brien good to hear from you what (laughs) i like to think i have a a nice layer of anonymity to protect me from people like you (laughs) yeah in in that situation it's the uh it's the executive secretary that's in trouble yeah and so he he gets the parada system he has to kind of go into stealth mode to disguise himself from the other runabout that's pursuing him He uses uh, the polar region as a distraction, (laughs) and it really scrambles some sensors, Yeah, as the polar uh, region often does. It's like uh, you go into the polar polar region, and the eyes on the runabout get crossed. (laughs) (laughs) You can't focus on anything. This The moment that this scene happens is interesting time-wise, because O'Brien loses the Mekong... And then the Mekong, once losing O'Brien, adjusts course for Parada 2. This happens with four minutes left in the episode. Like, as soon as this moment happened, I was like, how are they going to wrap this up? This is fucking crazy. Four minutes left. So O'Brien beams down to Parada 2 to see what the hell's going on. He, I think at this point, he sort of has nothing to lose. He's through running. Yeah, and he uh, finds himself in a familiar Star Trek cave. <laughs> Fortunately, doesn't run into Picard, Worf, and Beverly running around in their in their ninja pajamas. Right. Um, but he finds a mysterious door, and he opens it, and there is Commander Sisko and Major Kira and a couple of Paradins. And these guys kind of look like those uh, time-traveling con artists that Captain Picard met on Risa. They really do. You yourself said the Utah belongs to the future. He's come in there with phasers out, and he's got extra phasers in his cat basket. Um, I guess he learned from dropping that one phaser down the uh, down yeah. the Jeffrey's tube <laughs> that uh, you got to have a cat basket if you're going to be scrambling around the way he is. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know he's trying to get them to surrender, but they uh, they won't do it. And they're like, we really insist that you look at what's going on behind this door. And uh, he's about to shoot somebody when uh, one of the Paradins, like, quick draws on him and takes him out. And the door opens, like, simultaneous with this. And there inside is Julian Bashir with another Chief O'Brien. A much dirtier Chief O'Brien with more abrasions on him. So you can tell them apart. An O'Brien who's been through some shit. (laughs) Had a little bruise makeup applied. All of these O'Briens have been through some shit. But this one really is really showing it. And, uh... He gets up and, like, the O'Brien we've been following the entire time is, like, shuffling loose this mortal coil while they kind of talk about him like he's not even there. Like, oh, man, this is the guy? He was going to be the killer? It turns out it was a a big evil Paradin plot. Their technology being so good that they created a perfect replicant O'Brien, which, like, this is a great moment in the episode if... Because, like, in a film, it's different, right? You make the sort of reveal at the end. It's a little more difficult to go back in your mind to all the little parts that that now suddenly add up and and click into place. But in a 40-minute TV episode, what have we got? We've got the weirdly thorough physical, which is clearly now Bashir trying to figure out how this parade and replicant works. All of the upper pylon failures that served as a distraction for him. 
the weird treatment that he received from his own wife as well as everyone else. Like, bang, bang, bang. Like, they don't flash it back, but the viewer is easily able to because it's such a, a small portion to process. It's like a great episode of The Twilight Zone, you know? Yeah. It just the second you get this new little piece of information that is... Like, you know that, uh, like, something is going to be wrong with somebody, but you know, you don't quite know, like, how it's going to work. And, like, once this clicks into place, it makes a lot of sense. Double Mint O'Brien ends up <laughs> dying from his wounds with his last words being uh, his love for Keiko. And we hear the single brass instrument of watching your replicant die in pretty short order. Yeah. It's a very satisfying and very unusual episode. And, and then, uh, bang, credits. Like, yeah. like, it ends in the cave. Did you like the episode? I did. I really liked it. And for my wife, I think uh, this was a weird, <laughs> a weird place to come in on the series. Right. Having never seen an episode of The Next Generation and never seen an episode of Deep Space Nine. She was like, is that what it is? I mean, I, I, I will say, I think she it held her interest, but there were a couple of points where, like, we come back from commercial and she was like, fuck, there's more show. Give me a break. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. But, uh, I think, uh, on balance, uh, she thought it was a pretty entertaining episode of television. Uh, how about you? What a great episode to start with for her. Ben, I love the episode and I would say that it is my favorite DS nine episode that we've seen so far. Wow really really fun like i loved its its film noir aspects mm-hmm. i love the the creeping paranoia the the revelation at the end was well done it's insistence that it stays with o'brien throughout like one of the good fun characters on the show like i'm glad it was him it could have been anyone but yeah i'm glad it was him it's a because- fun creative constraint you know like you have to write good ep if you're gonna be if you're going to keep yourself to one story and one perspective on that story. I think it could, it could only ever be about O'Brien because every other main character on this show is compromised in some way, uh, in terms of how much we like them. Like, I don't think we root as hard for Bashir or feel as bad for him when people treat him poorly, for example, you know, like there are, there's something about O'Brien that makes you root for him. And there's something about him that's always been that way. And so that it's him uh, makes it even better. The thing about a serialized Star Trek show the way this was, though, is that this is extremely powerful tech that they've revealed. And there are they are no closer to solving the problem of it by the end of the ep. Like, right. Bashir even says, like, the, the copy was so perfect, there was nothing to distinguish it from the real thing. Other than behavior that never presented itself, but they sort of surmised that it would at, right. at an inopportune time. Like, yeah, they they tell O'Brien to play a game of solitaire, and pretty soon he's killing the uh, the candidate or whatever. Yeah, it's such a terrifying problem that, I mean, my having not seen much DS9, I don't know if it ever comes back, but I'm going to guess that it doesn't. I think and these Paradins are a, a, an alien of the week. I don't think we ever see them again. That's too bad because this is a very dangerous threat. If everything you've set up to secure your station and your people is based on identity the way that it is, yeah, then I think uh, it's a pretty dangerous time to be on DS9. But uh, it would it's a shame that they go through all this work and it doesn't come back. A shame indeed, Adam. One thing that's never a shame is the priority one messages we receive from our viewers. You want to check those out? See what see what folks have to say? Let's open more things from our viewers. <laughs> priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of personal priority one messages here. Starting with one from Liz and all the ankylosaur which have come before me. Is that is ankylosaur the plural of ankylosaur? Ankylosaur? Uh, <laughs> You're saying know. that word so many times in so many different ways. So many incorrect ways. Uh, it's uh, it's for Madame Mare. The dith. <laughs> it goes like this. 
While prepping my horgans for your three-year-old's birthday party, Cora, the girl? I realize there is no other friend whom I love more than Deanna loves chocolate, Riker loves consent, and Lawaxana loves being fucking obnoxious. <laughs> Let's put on our Klingon yoga outfits, watch some Trek in high definition, enjoy some coffee, perhaps a Ractagino. That's, uh, that's true friendship right there. I wonder what dith means to them, because Madame Mare is the dith, but also they're watching Trek in high definition. We may never know. <laughs> All of these are in code. We're triggering Manchurian candidates left and right. Yeah, we're triggering Manchurian O'Briens. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is for the warm hunting bosom. Oh, it is from Jillian. The message goes like this. Hey, nerds. <laughs> when I suddenly found myself thrust into the mirror universe this spring, you all absolutely floored me with your support. Even Counselor Troy needs help sometimes. How can I thank you? Right here on this very podcast that brought all of us together, of course. You're the ducking best. All of you. Same goes for Adam and Ben. P.S. Been to wrong. <laughs> Uh, can confirm, message is authentic. <laughs> Without the binturong, we might not have known. Uh, Jillian sent us a nice note to the drunkshimoda at gmail.com inbox a while back, and uh, and we were happy to hear from her. We're glad things are looking up for her uh, lately. Yeah, and uh, glad that the warm honey bosom was there for her in a couple of pretty challenging moments. Uh, it is... Something that I don't think Adam or I ever envisioned for what this podcast could be when we started it, that it would, like, form, like, real community and real friendships for people. And uh, that is, like, one of the awesomest things that has ever happened for either of us. And uh, we're so glad that we get to share that with all of you guys. Yeah, I didn't think it was possible for the internet to not be a shithole. And yet, <laughs> uh, the Friends of DeSoto, uh, in their many... Uh, online communities have have made it great so thanks to all you guys if you would like to send a priority one message to the greater listenership of the greatest generation you can go to go to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200 but the effect you can have on someone's life Ben priceless One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? 
Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I did. And it's a little bit of like a, a cat's cradle style Shimoda. Like, it's very thready. So here's here's where I'm at with this. We know a couple times throughout the episode that Jake needs help on a science project. Jake has arranged to have a science date with O'Brien where he mm-hmm. helps him build this, the science project. And then Jake calls in sick. So there's a timeline here that is everyone on the station knows that O'Brien is a replicant and they're taking steps to keep him away from the, the Parada situation. But evidently Cisco does not disclose this to Jake at the same time. <laughs> And so Jake is walking around the station for most of the episode feeling like O'Brien is O'Brien. Yeah. I mean, like, and, you think about what, like, how fucking terrifying that situation must be for Keiko. Yeah. She finds that out and, like, presumably has to share a bed with this man that is not her husband one night. And then, yeah, boy, she fucking is asked, a, a lot is asked of her. It is pretty crazy that. She's got great creep face, too. Like, when he comes up behind her. Yeah. Like, ugh, she is real squicked out. So, yeah, my Shimoda is is given to Ben Sisko for just the <laughs> timeline that he chooses to disclose this to Jake. Like, this is not the first time Jake and O'Brien have, have had a conversation. Like, they are, they're pals. I yeah. think you need to tell Jake the same time you tell everyone else. So, Ben Sisko, my Shimoda, what about you? Well, you know, this is not the real Chief O'Brien, but he doesn't know that. And uh, for that reason, <laughs> Replicant O'Brien is my Shimoda. Ben, do you think there's an action figure of Replicant O'Brien that is exactly like the regular <laughs> O'Brien, except the word Replicant? That'd be a great piece of merch, yeah, right? Yeah, the, like, the text on the bottom of his shoe is a little bit different or something. <laughs> that seems like something that Bill Tilly could make, like just taking a regular Chief O'Brien action figure and then like <laughs> carefully printing replicant above his name (laughs) the reason i gave him my shimoda is for a bit of a bit of wordless acting that calamini gave us in the scene where he gets home and finds out that molly is uh is sleeping having a sleepover at a friend's house that night the camera goes close on o'brien's face and you just see him do the math on hey alone with my wife and uh (laughs) And then he like puts the moves on her, but that just that little moment like spoke so many volumes and was so funny to me. Like I, I laughed out loud. My wife laughed out loud. It was uh, a very, a very fun little performance by Calamini, and uh, I enjoyed it immensely. So great. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Adam? The next episode is season two, episode fifteen, Paradise. 
Sisko and O'Brien are stranded on a planet inhabited by humans who have rejected any form of technology. I think O'Brien should maybe take a break from trips, <laughs> yeah. is what I'm going to say. Reconnect with the wife, like, uh, like calm it down a little bit, you know? He does not take any time off, does he? No, no breaks for O'Brien. Do you want to hear the Netflix description of this episode? Sure do. While surveying nearby star systems for M-class planets, Cisco and O'Brien locate a planet that already supports a colony of humans. <laughs> what a mistake. <laughs> uh, fun stuff. Well, Ben, we're on square 44 right now of the game of buttholes. The Will of the Prophets. And with Quark's bar just two squares away, uh, why don't we see if we're going to do the next episode in any particular way? Get behind that course of action. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to uh, roll these dice now. You click those clon pigs, Adam. Clicking. I've rolled a one. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. So we advance to square <laughs> 45, another regular ass episode. That's great. Well, I'm looking forward to that one, Ben. Uh, another another tale of O'Brien family woe. Looking forward to it, Adam. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I feel like a drunk episode almost is called for, given uh, given the ringer that O'Brien has been through lately. But uh, yeah, you know, we'll see. We uh, play by the rules here. Yeah. Uh, well, that'll be next week. And in the meantime, you can use the hashtag GreatestGen to talk about this episode online. Adam is on Twitter at CutForTime, and I'm at BenjaminR, A-H-R. And, uh, yeah, what else uh, What else do the people need to know? They need to know about the Facebook group. They need to know about yeah. the Reddit group. Yeah. I think there's a friendsofdesoto.com internet forum. Is that right? There is. There's a... There's, there's a Slack a, channel. There's Jim Shimoda, G-Y-M... Oh yeah, uh, the the workout community. And that uh, there's, T-shirt. I think, there's a second edition of the Jim Shimoda T-shirt available in the store. Right. Come see us live on tour this year. We're we're going to like I think 20 or so cities in the U.S. and Canada, and uh, most of the dates are already announced, and many more will be announced soon. Uh, it's greatestgencon.com. That's greatestgen, and then con is spelled K-H-A-N.com. Really want to see you show up at that Vegas show uh, during Star Trek Las Vegas. I think yeah. it would be it would send a powerful message to the Big Rod Industrial Complex if we were able to do a sold out show uh, just outside the pocket. Yeah, broadcasting at the pocket from just yeah. outside it <laughs> with like giant Victrola speakers. Yeah. Aimed at them. That's how podcasts work. Um, right. We should thank Dark Materia for our OG theme music and Adam Ragusia for our brand new theme music and uh, a lot of the original music you hear on the program. Hey, uh, cards for every episode are made by the great Bill Tilly1973 on Twitter. Always good for a laugh week in, week out. That guy uh, works a ton on his own brand of comedy bolted onto our brand of comedy making a form of super internet comedy <laughs> that uh, i've come to appreciate every week so Highlight thanks a lot to week. bill tilly yeah and with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek deep space nine and an episode of the greatest generation deep space nine that's marooned MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.